We've talked all about the Buffalo Bills entering the offseason, but what about their division rivals? We're checking in on the rest of the AFC East today on Locked on Bills. You are Locked on Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Friday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. And as a reminder to you, we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Well, folks, to close out the week, I want to talk about the rest of the AFC East. We've gotten ourselves ready for the Buffalo Bills in so many ways entering the offseason, but not so much. The Bills competition in the AFC East, which is really important. As we know, your clearest path to getting to the postseason in the NFL is by winning your division. And if you win your division, you're guaranteed to host at least one playoff game. And the Bills have been successful in this mission the last three seasons. The Bills have won the AFC East three years in a row. And pretty convincingly, right? They've really kind of had a firm grip on the top of the division. Now, with that said, the gap has closed a little bit, right? The Bills lost two division games for the first time in a while this past year. They lost the Dolphins and the Jets. Sean McDermott said himself in his postseason press conference that the gap has closed. And I think that's true. The Dolphins and the Jets have really done some positive things to position themselves to be more competitive in the division. And then, of course, there's the Patriots. And so what I want to do is look at each of these teams, talk about some of the changes already that's existed within their coaching staffs, talk about the assets that they have entering the offseason, some of their expiring contracts, their needs, and the biggest storylines for those teams as we approach the new league year. Now, next week on the podcast, I'm very excited. I'm going to do all of the free agency preview type stuff, offensively, defensively, and you're going to get my mock offseason. And this is really fun where I do a what I would do if I were the GM, and I put together the entire thing, clearing the cap space, extensions, new additions through free agency, a mock draft, and then I'll give you a final roster when it's all said and done. So yeah, that's a look forward to Next week on the podcast, of course, make sure that you are subscribed. Let's start this conversation with the Miami Dolphins, because I think the Miami Dolphins are the team in the AFC East that presents the biggest threat to the Buffalo Bills moving forward. Last year, Miami was 9-8. and eight. They were number two in the division. They earned the seventh seed in the AFC, made the playoffs, and then had the wild card loss to the Bills. When I think about the three games that the Bills played against Miami last year, those contests were far more competitive than in the previous three, four seasons, right? The Dolphins won in week three in a game that was lopsided in every imaginable way except for the score. But then the game in December in Buffalo, tight ball game, 
Bills hit a game-winning field goal at the end. And then obviously the playoff game in Buffalo with Miami playing a rookie seventh-round quarterback in Skylar Thompson with a pieced-together offensive line really gave the Bills all they can handle. Now, some of that was because of the Bills and their own mistakes, but that game was close. And all three of those games were close. Very tight margins in all three contests. And so the Miami Dolphins have really, I think, done the most recently to position themselves to really compete with Buffalo. And obviously, these teams, all of them, are going into this offseason once again saying, what do we have to do to continue closing that gap? While the Bills have to, what do we have to do to make sure that that gap still exists? Now, one big thing that's happened for Miami already this offseason is a new defensive coordinator. Gone is Josh Boyer. And now they have Vic Fangio as their defensive coordinator, who's one of the best defensive coordinators in the NFL and has been for a long time. That's an upgrade. They got better there. And Josh Boyer, for some of the moments of success he had with the Dolphins' defense, I think his inability to adapt last year with some of their personnel losses, mainly in the secondary, and really clinging to aggressive blitz packages, clinging to man coverage in long and late downs, really put his team in some bad spots. And I think Vic Fangio is going to elevate that coaching staff in a significant way on defense. Obviously, they're pretty loaded up front with defensive line talent. When you think about Christian Wilkins and Jalen Phillips, Zach Sealer, you know, they're in good shape there. And Vic Fangio's been really outstanding at getting production out of back seven players. And I think he's He's really, in so many ways, a great hire for them to maximize their talent and really bring their defense forward. So when you think about the assets that Miami has this offseason, right now they are $16.3 million over the salary cap, which is right about where the Bills are. And just like with the Bills, there are several very logical levers that they can pull that can put themselves in a, a positive cap position and position themselves to to add some players. And Miami is becoming one of the more attractive destinations in the NFL. The NFLPA released an amazing survey that included, I think, almost 1,300 players where they graded their organization through a bunch of different lenses, whether it was the training staff, the training equipment, the locker room, travel dynamics, uh, player support for their families, all of those things. And Miami, Miami, I think, was number two. Bills were number nine. They got a little bit of a uh, docked for travel um, where, I mean, the Bills have had some tough travel dynamics to begin with, but some complaints about younger players having to room together, that type of stuff. But most, mostly that was a good story from the Bills lens. But Miami was number two. like super high rating. So they have the benefit of being in South Florida in Miami. Uh obviously a situation where the players really like the dynamics of the of the organization. And then there's that other key factor of well there's no state income taxes in Florida. 
So if you're getting paid $10 million a year in New York compared to Florida, as a player, you're bringing home a significantly more or significantly more money, more take-home pay. And that's going to move the needle, right? So there's a lot of good tiebreakers that the Miami Dolphins have in their pursuit of players. So they're going to get in a situation where they can have some flexibility. They're not going to have a ton of spending power like they have in years past, but they'll have enough to make some additions. Now, looking over their most notable expiring contracts, on offense, tight end Mike Gusecki, who was a big-time flop for them playing under the franchise tag this past season, uh, was never a good fit for Mike McDaniel's offense, but they brought him back, and it went about how I thought it would. He'll certainly walk and be on a new team. Uh, their, their two lead running backs, Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson, are expiring contracts. Brandon Shell, um, who filled in for them at right tackle this past year, started a fair amount of games and, and probably gave them their best right tackle play in a long, long time. And then I'm listing Teddy Bridgewater because he's the backup quarterback, and when Tua Tungavailoa and his injury history is your quarterback, QB2 is very, very, very important. You know that I think it's important for every team. But especially when Tua is your starter and he's had the injury history that he's had over the last several years of his football career, even dating back to Alabama. On defense, they're big expiring contracts. Um, in the secondary, Eric Rowe, who's been a uh, kind of a mixed-in safety player that they'll use over tight ends and they get into some of their personal groupings they like to deploy him. Nick Needham, who was injured this past year but has been a bright young player at corner. Uh, Melvin Ingram, uh, one of their rotational defensive linemen, and then two linebackers, Landon Roberts, Roberts and Duke Riley. Landon Roberts, the starter next to Jerome Baker, and he's been a very uneven player for them. But, you know, is Channing Tindall, a, a draft pick from last year, ready to step into that role? We'll find out. So I think their biggest needs entering the offseason are running back. Obviously, they you know, their two lead guys, Mostert and Wilson, are expiring contracts, so they'll need to address that situation. Tight end, I think, is a big deal. I think that's an area of their offense where they didn't get the production they wanted, both from a blocking perspective and a receiving perspective. I think that's an important piece of Mike McDaniel's offense. And so whether it's a veteran or a draft pick, I think they're going to really – that tight end room is going to look a lot different, and it needs to. Still think they have work to do on their offensive line. They can use uh, starters slash upgrades at left guard and right tackle, in my opinion. Linebacker, they need that running mate next to Jerome Baker. And then corner's kind of an interesting situation with Byron Jones, who missed all of this past season, um, which was not expected to be the case. And then some information recently came out where he really talked about some of his physical limitations, and it didn't really sound like a guy that had football in his future. And so with Xavier Howard coming off of a bad season, playing through some injuries, aging, right? He's been injured. You worry about how long he's going to be a viable starter. They got a nice young player in Cater Kuho, but he's maybe more of a slot. They, they need some bodies here at corner. So I think they have some, those are the areas that they need to address. Their draft picks, uh, very limited. They don't have their first round pick. It's been forfeited due to the tampering. So they have picks 52, 78, 85, 179, and 241. So a two, two threes, a six, and a seven. 
Biggest storylines for the Dolphins entering this offseason. Number one is Tua's health. Um, I mean, he didn't clear concussion protocol until several weeks into the offseason and suffered multiple concussions this past season. He's taking a form of mixed martial arts that is supposed to help him fall better and protect his head. I mean, this is big stuff here. I know it might sound silly, but Tua's got to figure out how he can be more available for the football team. That's going to be big. And and it's not just last year. Tua has been injured consistently over the last like four or five years of his career, dating back to Alabama. So Tua's health is a big deal. Year two under Mike McDaniel, their, their head coach, offensive-minded coach, right? That's a big storyline is how he's going to evolve um, both as a head coach and operationally and some of the issues that showed up uh, throughout the season, but also um, how he's going to evolve the offense, right? And I think for him, a, a bigger commitment to the run game, which comes from better personnel on the O-line and at tight end, you know, wanting to run outside zone and not having a tight end that can win the edge, that's a problem. So I think there's some evolution there and with incorporating weapons in the passing game that aren't Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Now you want those guys to get the ball a ton, but I think they can take another step if they lean into some more of their ancillary components of their passing game. So that evolution, which includes running back tight end O-line scheme evolution. And then it's about Vic Fangio, his impact on the defense, getting, getting Jerome Baker a running mate. That's going to be important at linebacker. And then getting healthy in the secondary and sorting out the Byron Jones situation. So, you know, there, there, there's not a whole lot in the balance. I think it's a clear path for what they need to get done. Uh, but obviously that that's the team that right now, if you say who has the best chance to knock off the bills, it, it's Miami it, very clearly playoff team last year. You know, they hit that lull late in the season. And, um, you know, I think that was part of their maturation as a football team and, and Mike McDaniel as a head coach. And obviously, having their starting quarterback hurt again, right? Those are hard dynamics. Meanwhile, all the dynamics of their defense with Josh Boyer, their injuries, like they're going to be better for all of that, but they're probably looking at some of those, all of that stuff that I just mentioned there as a bunch of micro transactions that if some of that was different, maybe it was even more competitive last year. So Miami has to be licking their chops at their opportunity in 2023 to really make a run at the AFC East. All right, folks, need to tell you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the planet. These things are awesome, and they're awesome because not only are they super healthy for you, but they're extremely tasty. I mean, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. There's so many great flavors. Um, I mean, I love the churro puffs. I love the brownie batter puffs. They have uh, raspberry cheesecake Built Bars right now. So many great flavors all the time. But here's the deal is they're also healthy for you. They taste like a candy bar. But the macros are incredible. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein per bar. And, um, you know, for years I've been telling you, go to Built.com, you can order them. And you still can. But you can also pick them up off the shelf at your local Sam's Club or Walmart. So check them out. Get them online. Get them in the stores. You'll thank me later because these are the best tasting protein bars on the planet. All right, let's turn our attention to the New York Jets or the New Jersey Jets. We'll call them the Jets. Last year, they were 7-10. and 10. They finished last in the AFC East. They did beat the Bills with Zach Wilson as their quarterback. Uh, Zach in that game, and he played 
mistake-free football and Michael Carter had a great game running the ball, but really that defense, right? The Jets defense has given the Bills more problems than any defense that I've seen in those two games last year. Really made it tough. That defense really turned around the team, right? I mean, not that 7-10 and 10 is this amazing record, but they were certainly a, a different a different animal last year with how good they were on defense. Um, a lot of good young talent. Quinn and Williams and Jermaine Johnson and Sauce Gardner. Good looking, good looking defense over there. Their coaching staff looks a little bit different this year. They got a new offensive coordinator. Gone is Matt LaFleur. And hired is Nathaniel Hackett, former Packers, OC, former Browns, if I'm not mistaken, or Jaguars, uh, of course, with the Bills. Most recently, a disaster as the head coach of the Denver Broncos. One thing that's really unique to me about Hackett taking over for LaFleur is just how different I think things will look. You know, you're having a big shift where LaFleur kind of brings a lot of Shanahan staples to their offensive attack, where that's not always been the case with Nathaniel Hackett and the influences that he has on his coaching philosophy. So from an offensive architecture perspective, it, it should look a lot different. The Jets enter the offseason just a tick over the cap, like 260000 bucks over the cap. And they've got some very clear paths to cre- create some cap space, whether that's moving on from a Corey Davis and clearing up a bunch of space or other restructures. They're going to be okay when it comes to being able to get some space to add to the roster. As far as notable expiring contracts on offense, two offensive linemen, George Fant uh, and Connor McGovern. McGovern's been a long-term starter for them uh, on the interior there at center. On defense, Sheldon Rankins, uh, starter next to Quinn and Williams at defensive tackle. LaMarcus Joyner, one of their key safeties. Quincy Williams, who kind of came into his own as a linebacker uh, next to C.J. Mosley this past season. And then Solomon Thomas, who's really kind of found his way as a rotational player. Their biggest needs to me um, really are contingent on uh, some of their decisions with expiring contracts. Uh, I'll start with offensive tackle, where you look at Makai Becton, former high pick a couple of years ago, has proven nothing but unreliable. You know, can he come back and get it together and be an answer? I don't know. Dwayne Brown's very like an aging offensive tackle. Uh, He's back, but, you know, just not a long term answer. Do they want to move Elijah Vera Tucker to tackle, right? They have some options, um, but none of them are super secure or intriguing. So they got to figure out that offensive tackle situation with George Fant an expiring contract, and some of the uncertainties with those other other three players. Uh, Big need at center. If Connor McGovern's not back, they're going to need a center. Um, So we'll see how that goes. They could need two new starters on the O-line. I think they need some help at receiver, uh, especially because I think they're going to cut Corey Davis. And so that puts them in a position where Garrett Wilson looks awesome. Uh, And Elijah Moore is a nice young player, but still has a lot to prove. Braxton Berrios, more of a slot. I think they're going to need another volume receiver there uh, if they cut Corey Davis like I expect them to. Uh, on defense, I think they need a defensive tackle to play alongside Quinn and Williams as a starter. I think they need to sort out their linebacker situation. Uh, you know, Quincy Williams, an expiring contract. You're going to need somebody to play alongside of C.J. Mosley and then safety as well where LaMarcus Joyner is a versatile player that they'll either need to bring back or replace. In terms of draft picks, they own picks 13, 44, 75, 113, 146, and 180. 
So they have a one, two, three, four, five, and six. To me, the biggest storylines with the Jets this offseason is that it's a make or break year for this regime of head coach Robert Sala, GM Joe Douglas. It's a make or break year. They got to get it done. They got to go to the playoffs this year. And the biggest question that they have to answer is quarterback. I don't think we view Zach Wilson as the answer here, right? Really disastrous situation, no growth, processing, decision-making issues, maturity issues, just doesn't look like he's going to be the viable long-term future at quarterback for the Jets. And they got to get that figured out because the remainder of team here looks pretty strong. Some minor things that they need to do to improve their offense. Defensively, this team is stacked. Again, a couple minor things, but you know they're they're ready to compete. To me, they're they fit under that bucket of hey, we're a, a quarterback away from being a playoff team. I, I legitimately think of that about this Jets team, and you know they're in on this Derek Carr conversation. They're in on the Aaron Rodgers conversation. You know we'll see what happens with Lamar Jackson, but this is the type of situation that is going to lead to a notable move at quarterback. I don't think they're just going to roll into this thing hoping that Zach Wilson proves himself next year. I think there's probably a more likely chance that Zach Wilson is off the team than he is the starter or the preferred starter. So they got to figure out this quarterback situation, and Joe Douglas and Robert Sala's tenures depend on it. And you get the, the sense that Woody Johnson, as the owner of this team, is pretty sick and tired of not having the quarterback situation figured out. They've they've missed on their last three, right? Maybe probably even more than that, but you look at a history of Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold, Mark Sanchez, all players that you picked high in the draft, two of which you traded up to get, didn't pan out. There's got to be some restlessness from Woody Johnson as the owner to get this figured out. And that's why I think that they are absolutely in the mix to pay Derek Carr or trade for Aaron Rodgers. You have a restless owner, you have a GM and a head coach in a make or break year, something significant's happening at quarterback. Outside of that, solidify the O-line, get another receiver. I think one of the big storylines with the Jets, obviously they, they had so much production from their rookie class, the offensive rookie of the year in Garrett Wilson the defensive rookie of the year in Sauce Gardner, and and to me, the very obvious choices in both categories. But how about the season that Brees Hall was having? They're going to get that guy back. Elijah Vera Tucker, a young, bright offensive lineman, missed basically the entire season. He's coming back. So you got some some nice, young, young developing talent that's already proving quite a bit. And that's something that, to me, is a big storyline for them in this offseason and heading into 2023. Obviously, a new offensive coordinator. I don't love the hire of Nathaniel Hackett. They also brought in Todd Downing. Those aren't two of my favorite guys in the NFL when it comes to offense. It's not. But it's their new direction. And, and that working is a big storyline. There's, there's certainly some nice dynamics on this roster to work with if they get that quarterback situation figured out. And I, you can certainly connect the dots between Nathaniel Hackett, his time in Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers potentially being available. And then it's about developing the defense, right? They they really made huge strides this past season. Get yourself another defensive tackle, another linebacker, safety, and then just enjoy the young talent that you have. Think about a guy like Jermaine Johnson, how much more of an impact he can make next season. Potentially, they're going to cut Carl Lawson as a cap-saving uh, move. You know, There's a lot of young players that are really in good spots to, to take another step next year. 
but they got to get this quarterback situation figured out or else it's going to be really tough for them to maximize their potential as a football team. There's one more team to check in on, the New England Patriots, and we'll do that right after a quick break. All right, let's talk about the New England Patriots. Last season, 8-9, and nine, third place in the AFC East. Their matchups against the Bills told a different story to me than the matchups against the Dolphins and Jets. The Dolphins and Jets played the Bills way more competitively than the Patriots did. And I just feel like that gap is still there between the Bills and Patriots, where the Bills are just further ahead. And we'll get into some of the dynamics with the Patriots as we work through this conversation, but they're they're the team that concerns me the least. Now, at the same time, they have the most assets at their disposal this offseason of any team in the AFC East, and it's not particularly close. It's not close at all. So they're going to have a significant offseason here of adding talent, or they should at least, because they have the resources to do it. So not only are they going to add talent, but they've already made a, a significant change to their coaching staff by bringing in Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator. And you can say what you want about him and his role as the head coach slash general manager of the Houston Texans and how that tanked at the end, but had a lot of success offensively before that. Obviously a good run at Alabama as their OCs. He's done a good job in the NFL. And he's certainly, without a doubt, a massive upgrade to the disaster that was Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running this Patriots offense last year. A complete joke of a situation. We knew it when it happened, and then I think it was probably worse than we even thought it could be. Some of the reports coming out after the season about Mac Jones and his complaints about the situation and him having to seek out other coaches and staffs in the NFL to get some support. Just a disaster of a situation with that offensive coaching staff and a disaster of a situation with how this organization has supported Mac Jones. Mac Jones, not a player I like a lot, right? I had a third round grade on him. Never thought he was going to be a meaningful NFL starter. He's kind of done exactly what I thought he would, but my goodness, are they failing him from a personnel and coaching perspective? Now I think Bill O'Brien is a good hire to right some of those wrongs. There's no doubt in my mind that Bill O'Brien can really help and be an asset to Mac Jones. I worry about what this relationship is right now between Mac Jones and the Patriots because all the rumblings are bad. I mentioned they have assets. They do. Uh, They enter the offseason before they make any moves, no restructures, no cuts, anything like that, with uh, over $32 million in cap space. That's actually seventh most in the NFL. So they got cap space. As far as notable expiring contracts, Jacoby Myers, who's been a really important receiver for them. Uh, Isaiah Wynn, former first-round pick, starting tackle. Damian Harris at running back, who's been somewhat neutralized with, or I wouldn't say somewhat, he's been neutralized with, uh, or marginalized might be the better word. He's, I think Damian Harris is a good back, but Ramondre Stevenson has come in and really taken hold of that backfield situation. And then Nelson Aguilar, I would also kind of lump in here um, as an experienced receiver for them. On defense, Jonathan Jones, who was their number one corner last year. Devin McCourty, who's been a fixture at safety for the last 105 years. Jabril Peppers, who's been a, a sub player for them. And then Mac Wilson, uh, who got some run at linebacker for them. To me, the biggest needs of this football team entering this offseason are 
wide receiver, right? Like, even if they bring back Jacoby Myers, they need more here. Devontae Parker, Tyquan Thornton, Jacoby Myers, if that's your top three receivers, that's that doesn't scare anybody. They got to get some meaningful wide receiver talent. And if I were New England, I'd be the team that'd be looking to trade for DeAndre Hopkins. But here's the deal with that. Has that bridge been burned based on the way things finished in Houston between Bill O'Brien and DeAndre Hopkins when Bill O'Brien traded him away for a ham sandwich and an old running back and Duke Johnson? Or not Duke, David Johnson? I wonder if that's on the table because I think that'd be a perfect situation. The Patriots should absolutely be a team that trades meaningful assets to get a legitimate receiver in the building. I don't know if they will. The Patriots have just really struggled at that position for so long. They got to get better at receiver. They're going to need some help at offensive tackle. I'm not sure if they're going to want to continue to ride the Isaiah Wynn roller coaster. When he's healthy, he's good, but he's not always healthy. Injuries every year. So I think they need a starting offensive tackle. On defense, uh, corner's going to be big. Uh, They put a lot on their number one corner. It's a really key position for them. And you can tell that they didn't have J.C. Jackson and they didn't have Stephon Gilmore and they didn't have Darrell Revis or insert whatever really good number one corner they typically have had. And relying on Jonathan Jones to to do that was a big ask, especially with the amount of bump and run and man coverage that they want to play. So I think they need corner and they also need safety. And, you know, they roster a bazillion safeties. But with Devin McCourty, you know, got to be getting close to the end here. And, and Jabril Preppers, again, both those guys expiring contracts. I know they have Kyle Duggar, who's a nice young player, but they need more there based on the way how they want to play defense. They could probably use an upgrade at slot corner. They got to figure out what they're going to do with Jack Jones and Marcus Jones. I just, there's some players there, but they got to piece it together better than they have. So I think their biggest needs are wide receiver, offensive tackle, corner, and safety. In terms of draft picks, they got 11 draft picks. So I told you this team had assets, the seventh most cap space in the league, 11 draft picks, picks 14, 47, 77, 108, 118, 136, 185, 188, 193, 211, 259. Tons of draft picks. Some of that's comp picks, right? They got a bunch of like extra fourth and sixth round picks. They got three fours and four sixes. They also have a one, two, and a three. They got got some draft capital at their disposal. As far as the biggest storylines for the Patriots entering this offseason, kind of got into it already. It's this Mac Jones situation. You know, how do they maximize him? Is he part of the plans? Are they going to flip him? Are they going to send him to the Raiders? Sign Jimmy Garoppolo, something weird, right? I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I think it's all on the table. But at a minimum, they have to get this relationship healthy and, and give him a plan here to, to have a chance and get him some meaningful wide receivers and solidify that O-line and get things on the same page with Bill O'Brien, a real coach at offensive coordinator this year. So they got to figure that all out. So I have written down storylines, quarterback and Mac Jones and making sure Mac Jones has what he needs to be successful, which includes the offensive line and a wide receiver. I think they got to solidify their secondary. I mean, you're you're in a division with the Bills and the Dolphins. You better figure out your corners and safeties, man. It's going to be tough. And if the, the, the Jets get their quarterback situation figured out and they got Garrett Wilson, 
Elijah Moore, you know, that's going to be tough to deal with too. So they got to figure out their secondary. And then just a question I've had about the Patriots, I feel like for the last three, four seasons, do they have enough impact players? Do they have difference makers? They have guys that can force the action. They have guys that can change the math on offense or defense. I, I don't really look at this roster, and I haven't looked at this roster in a long time and said, man, I don't know how the Bills are going to deal with that guy or that situation. What do you have that makes opponents afraid of you? I mean, their pass rush kind of woke up this year, but it still disappeared at times. Like, what, what is it about this operation that makes you concerned? Well, I have a hard time finding it. Like, they need some star power. They need some impact players. So while I list their needs at wide receiver, offensive tackle, corner, and safety, they just need more high-impact players to be difference makers for their football team. That's what they need. So you got cap space, you got draft picks, like use that to get some impact guys. You can't just piece it together with a bunch of guys that, you know, are cerebral and go about their business and, you know, fall into that do your job Patriot way. You need dudes, man. It's Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. Get yourself some dudes and give yourself a chance. Some difference makers. So there you have it, the AFC East entering the offseason. It's going to be fun to watch this, right? Wound up being fairly competitive. The Bills pulled away at the end there by several games. They had 13 wins, and then the Dolphins at number two had nine wins, right? So four games ahead. I think they've won the division by multiple games the last several seasons, but Dolphins are creeping up there. Jets are creeping up there. They need that quarterback. The Patriots are always going to be a reasonably sound team, but can they use the assets that they have to get some impact players and make things more challenging. And that's just the AFC East, right? This doesn't get into the Bengals. It doesn't get into the Chiefs or whatever other teams you think are on the up and up. So, yeah, it's, we got to talk about the Bills, and that's always the most important thing, but keeping an eye on the competition's always a healthy thing to do. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Looking forward to next week, tons of free agency discussion. I'll let you know who I want the Bills to go after at every position. The mock-off season's always really fun. Of course, herd mentality also coming your way. Big week, and then when we flip over to the next week, the legal tampering period starts on Monday. Things are going to move fast, and it's going to be really, really fun to cover here on the podcast. So make sure that you're subscribed. We'd love it if you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great weekend. Go Bills, and I look forward to catching up with you again on Monday. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.